1: 1700 hours Central African time. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're in Johannesburg in South Africa. On your radio sets, you can find us on 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band if you're in Southern Africa. All over the African continent, we're on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I am Spomela and I'm with Drala Netulo, with Matewula and Nedo Your top stories. South African Trade Union Federation endorses its preferred candidate to lead the ruling party. Schools remained closed in northwestern Cameroon following the killing of several people protesting the domination of French in the country. In economics, the South African Reserve Bank leaves repo rates unchanged at 7%. And in sports, the Spark Grand Prix celebrates a decade of existence. Jola Netulo has the news.
2: Thank you, Pumelele. Good afternoon. Burundi's government has refused to cooperate with a UN inquiry into months of political violence, saying accusations of abuses by its officials were part of a political plot. The United Nations announced the inquiry this week to identify perpetrators in the country, which has been driven by clashes and killings since protests erupted in 2015 against the president's decision to seek a third term. The United Nations released a report by independent experts in September identifying government officials suspected of ordering political opposition to be tortured or killed. The allegations have infuriated the government, who has now banned the three experts from Burundi. Lesotho's Prime Minister Pagadita Musisidi's Democratic Congress Party and former Prime Minister Tom Tabane's Obasoto Convention have confirmed a coalition agreement for a government of national unity. The DCP is represented by Musisidi's deputy, Moyane Mulilegi, Ntakwana Ngadani has the details.
3: Speaking via telephone, Excel former Prime Minister Tom Tabane says his ABC and DC have signed an agreement for a government of national unity Tabani says he and Muleleki have set aside their differences to lead the way for reconciliation. Muleleki echoes Tabani's sentiments and calls all to a march to demand that Musisidi should step down and to appeal to the U.S. not to withdraw Agoa. The media briefing continues.
2: Schools have remained closed in northwestern Cameroon following the killing of several disgruntled people protesting the overbearing domination of French in the country that has also in the country, hundreds have been wounded. Last Monday, teachers also refused to work. Leader of the main opposition, SDF, John Frondi, has called on the government to deal with the issues to avoid future reoccurrences.
4: There are children of 11, 12, 13, up to 17, 25. If I saw anybody slightly old, though he was getting that, she'd be 30. And when dissension goes to such people, it is very dangerous for us. We can summon a big rally in town here where we'll talk to the people. But this should be after solutions to the teething problems that the people are asking for have come in from Yaoundé. They are
2: not The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees in Malawi has unveiled a plan to relocate some of the refugees from Zaleka Refugee Camp to Karoga, a district close to the Tanzania border. According to the refugee agency, this move is necessitated by congestion at the camp, which houses close to 28,000 refugees. Alfred Mambale, an official working at the Zaleka Refugee Camp in Malawi, explains the challenges faced in the camp.
5: Yes, the challenges that we face, obviously funding is always a challenge to upkeep the numbers that have grown in the last four or five years in Malawi. The infrastructure is inadequate in Zaleka and the funding in order to sustain the needs of the refugees in the camp is always a challenge. So the Malawian government has taken an initiative with UNHCR to relocate the refugees to a more sustainable, durable solution area where our services will be minimized through an initiative that incorporates livelihood as a project.
2: And finally, two Nigerian nationals have been arrested in north of Johannesburg, South Africa, for allegedly being in possession of cocaine valued at around two million rand. Police acting on a tip-off raided the suspect's house and found the illegal drugs inside. Hawk spokesperson Carol Molamo.
3: Police searched the premises and recovered plastics with residue undisclosed amount of money and drugs. The two Nigerian nationals were arrested on Wednesday afternoon. The suspects will be appearing before the Runbeck Magistrate Court tomorrow for dealing in drugs.
2: For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo. Africa Digest.
0: You're listening to Africa Digest.
1: Thanks very much, Jolan, 1705 Central African Time. Kosato says it wants the next ANC leadership under Deputy President Seru Ramaphosa to be one that is not corruptible. The Federation has endorsed Ramaphosa to take over from President Jacob Zuma, when the party holds its 2017 elective conference, the Federation held a three-day Central Executive Committee meeting and had a robust and intense debate on the ANC's succession saga. Political analyst Ralph Mateja lends his views on this developing story.
3: Well, it is quite interesting, and my sense is that COSATU has looked at some of the internal divisions within the ANC, hmm. and uh, we know that uh, the alliance that has brought uh, Jacob Zuma to power has uh, began to unravel has began to implode and Kosatu being a very strong element of that. So it should not be a surprise when people are thinking beyond Zuma, because remember, at the end of the day, this is about how Kosatu can be able to access the policy environment and the extent to which they can actually influence policies uh, that are being implemented by the ANC in government. And they are seeing Syedra Moposa as someone through which they can actually have a better influence within the ANC. This does not mean that Syedra Moposa is going to be president of uh, the ANC. It only means that Kosatu support him, he still needs the support within the AMC itself. And I think that uh, uh, it, for me, it does not necessarily say that Kosatu uh, has actually abandoned Zuma. It just means they are thinking beyond him. I think also very critically, we need to take into consideration what is Kosatu's preference in terms of the top six. I mean, they can have. Uh, Cyril Ramaphosa as the leader of the ANC. Suppose Cyril becomes the leader. The question is also about who else is going to be part of the top six of the party. The, that is a very influential uh, structure of the party being, being the top six of the ANC. So it's still a way to go. It's good for Ramaphosa that he has been able to secure this kind of an endorsement. But there are still many hurdles ahead. At this point, you cannot guarantee anything.
6: But something else I found interesting, Mr. Mahateha is that Cosatu said it supports a judicial commission of inquiry. Thank <laughs> you into state capture. And President Zuma spoke about this in Parliament when he was answering questions. And he seemed to be quite uh, uh, against the, the idea of, of, of constituting this commission. What can you read into this?
3: There is a revolt within COSATU. There is no doubt about that. I mean, Mr. Dumagamini has been holding strong for years, uh, supporting Zuma uh, and being an outfit that has been very prominent in defending Mr. Zuma. But there is a revolt. We have seen one union actually saying that uh, they want President Jacob Zuma to reconsider his position. That is, how a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago. So th- th- there is that kind of a revolt, and I think what is happening now is that those who maybe want to be seriously thinking about beyond Mr. Zuma, they are considering uh, 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 how to safely place their support as, as they are doing this with Sylvain Ramaphosa. And uh, by Coincidence also, or maybe logically I think, it also says they have to support these things such as uh, uh, state capture, judicial commission of inquiry. The reality is that COSATU feels hard done by Zuma. Uh, they feel that they've been sold out by Zuma, who they have brought to power, and he didn't deliver anything that maybe the union want. And at the same time, he has been able, that is Mr. Zuma, to serve as a conduit for the Gupta family to gain access to control of distribution of resources through the tender the, the system. That is one of the issues that is, I think, eking Kosatu about its relationship with Mr. Zuma. So it is becoming difficult for Mr. Zuma's allies within Kosatu, that is, including as Dumodramini, to, to push back against those dissatisfaction that exists within Kosatu about how Zuma went about, or maybe how he betrayed them throughout this, these two terms as the president of the council.
6: Would you say it's a self-preservation mechanism for Kosatu? Considering that, as as you alluded to, that some unions have been quite um, uh, vociferous in, in in their in their dissatisfaction with with the ANC and subsequently President Zuma,
3: it is indeed an attempt for Cosatu. I mean, I can imagine the supporters of Mr. Zuma within Cosatu have had to deal with this. Might have had to go along with this uh, position about uh, the support of uh, uh, Ramaphosa as a possible uh, uh, leader of the ANC. I think that there is a realization within COSATU that the union has been too fragmented uh, and that the federation has been too fragmented where the affiliate union have been breaking ranks, speaking on their own. That is not good for COSATU. So as much as there might be disagreements, about supporting Ramaphosa, at least if you have a view coming from the organization, instead of affiliates pronouncing independently, that at least gives the picture that says there is still Kosat.
6: Now, Minerals Minister Mseben didn't escape Kossatu's sharp tongue.
3: Of course, Mr. Zwane's controversial uh, uh, activities conduct relating to the Gupta family. And the allegations that he was involved in the purchasing of a mine, which was a self, uh, which was a private interest for the Gupta family, no doubt about it. That it will reflect upon that. Remember, Kosaddu's view has always been about uh, state capacity and the strength of the state. You Mm. can disagree with Kosatu, but the reality is that the union has always said they want government to have a proactive role when it comes to dealing with poverty, distributing resources. So the likes of Zwani are in contrary to the vision. They are. Used to uh, push uh, private interest at the expense of a strong state. Kosatu wouldn't like that.
6: But we we cannot escape that uh, Kosatu's endorsement uh, for the deputy president Ramaphosa. It is a a resounding endorsement, no?
3: It is a resounding endorsement. It's good for Mr. Ramaphosa, but uh, he has got that endorsement. It's one step uh, for him going forward in uh, presenting his uh, candidature if he's going to do that. But it's not a guarantee
6: but my reading mr mateha is that uh, president zuma doesn't seem like somebody who's on his way out he looks very much in charge or am i reading this wrong
3: he's still strong to some extent in the greater scheme of things but naturally he's going to have to leave office i mean it's just a question of whether it's going to be 2017 Uh, after the elective conference or in 2019 how are they going to manage his exit that is something that they will need to talk about going forward but he's uh, he's still in charge Uh, he's still the president of the nc still the president of the country and at least for another year he will still remain within that position
1: that's political endless Ralph Matecha there, and he was speaking to Luanda Mawame. Now, schools have remained closed in northwestern Cameroon following the killing of several disgruntled people, protesting the overbearing domination of French in the country that also has French as an official language. Hundreds have been wounded. Strikes have continued in the region since the month of September when lawyers went to the streets to protest French domination Last Monday, teachers also refused teaching to ask for education reforms, saying that the English system of education they inherited from English colonial masters is being eroded by the French system. The French-speaking regions of Cameroon inherited from French colonial masters. is in Yaounde.
7: Cameroon English-speaking citizens quarrel with the police for using force to stop them from carrying out a peaceful march along the streets of Bamenda, capital of the northwest region of the Central African state. Some of them, like Magdalene Tang, students of the University of Bamenda, say they were brutalized by the military. (laughs) She says they attacked them with big iron rods and stones and they had to enter everywhere hiding but they were still brutalized. Since running battles started with the military Monday, schools have remained closed. Kedze Rufina, head teacher of government primary school my three, says only 10% of their pupils have been coming to school.
0: Most of our kids have not come today. We don't know why they did not come. We hear other kids of other schools have not gone
7: because they told them not to. Parent Emmanuel J. says the tension in Bamenda has made him to ask his three children to stay at home. With the recent brutality on the lawyers in Munya, where I witnessed, I decided that, okay, they, can, they should stay at home until the problem is solved. The media has been reporting that four people died when the military used tear gas, live and rubber bullets to disperse crowds. But the governor of the northwest region of Cameroon, Lely Lafric, says only one person died.
4: It's only one person who
6: died. Investigations are ongoing to establish their responsibilities. I'm therefore appealing to everybody to resume their normal activities and calling on those who have called for a strike. Like the governor has stretched their hand to them, to join government to
7: find out long-lasting solution to the problem they are raised to government. John Fundi, leader of the SDF, the main opposition political party in Cameroon, is calling on the government to solve the problems raised by teachers and lawyers and the population of face rioting in the future.
4: There are children of 11, 12, 13, up to 17, 25. If I saw anybody slightly old, though it was getting that, should be 30. And when dissension goes to such people, it is very dangerous for us. We can summon a big rally in town here where we'll talk to the people. But this should be after solutions to the teething problems that the people are asking for have come in from Yaoundé.
7: This is not the first time English-speaking Cameroonians are having conflicts with what they call the overbearing influence of the French language. Valentine Fontame, Secretary General of the Cameroon's Teacher's Trade Union, Cato, says the country's English subsystem of education is being eroded in favor of the French subsystem.
4: All of this kind of national deceit should stop. We are tired. We are tired. Now when you have an Anglo-Saxon university like Bambini, another Anglo-Saxon university is uh, francophonized by virtue of administrative and teaching personnel and by virtue of the students who get into it. That is a flouting of the laws of the land. It's a sickening thing that people go to those kind of universities and then they want to be taught in French. The law creating that university states that it is an Anglo-Saxon university in nature and orientation.
7: English-speaking Cameroonians constitute 20% of the 22 million population. Many speak the two languages for business purposes. The country's constitution states that the two official languages inherited from English and French colonial masters should be given the same consideration, but many official documents are only in French. Some ministers deliver speeches only in French, even in English-speaking zones. English-speaking Cameroonians doubt why, close to 60 years after independence, no English speaker has been Minister of Defense, Minister of Finance, Minister of Territorial Administration, and many other influential positions. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. Namibia International
8: Beach and Cultural Festival. Langstrand Beach. Walvis Bay. Namibia. 23rd, 24th, 25th of December. Music Festival with international and local artists. 4-9 accommodation packages and activities available at Compute Ticket Travel. Main event tickets available at Compute One hundred and fifteen $150 Namibian dollars, 150 rands, and 130 Pula. Tickets are available at ShopRite and Checkers. Get yours today. VIP is $500 Namibian dollars, 500 rands. Or 380 Pula. Hashtag Exmus in Namibia. Hashtag Harambe. Cultures of Southern Africa route is powered by Channel Africa. www.culturalfestival.net. Download the app today.
1: Your time is 1718 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomile Lizondi. I'm with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. You can find us on Channel Africa One on Twitter. That is Channel Africa One on Twitter. South African Reserve Bank Governor Lizzie has announced that interest rates will remain unchanged, citing a high degree of uncertainty around policy changes globally and the continued volatility of financial markets. The decision, which was in line with expectations, comes after the latest inflation reading breached the SAB's 3% to 6% target bond. Statistics South Africa data revealed on Wednesday that a headline consumer inflation Ticked up to 6.4% year on year in October from 6.1% year on year in September. Economist Davi Rod joins us on the line to tell us more about this. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest, Davi.
9: Thank you very much for asking me. Good afternoon to you.
1: Mm, uh, Davi, now this was not unexpected, was it?
9: No, certainly not. Most economists expected the Reserve Bank to keep interest rates unchanged. Although the reality is that inflation is above the targeted range and theoretically the Reserve Bank was actually supposed to increase interest rates, the reality is that the South African economy is not doing well. We have very high levels of unemployment and clearly the South African Reserve Bank reckons that they can keep or trying to keep interest rates as low as possible for as long as possible trying to support the South African economy. No, certainly this was pretty much expected.
1: Mm. Um, But are we going to see a turnaround anytime soon, on the horizon maybe?
9: Yeah, well, that will depend on two variables. The first one will depend on domestic issues. Like, for example, if the rand should suddenly weaken to much weaker levels, as an example, if we do see local inflationary pressures building up, uh, then the Reserve Bank uh, may decide to increase interest rates uh, within the next couple of months. A second factor that may prompt the Reserve Bank to increase interest rates is what the Americans are going to do. The Americans are likely to increase interest rates next month, and it really depends on what they are going to do over the next couple of months, which eventually may force the Reserve Bank to increase interest rates as well. But my suspicion is that the Reserve Bank will try to keep interest rates where they are for as long as absolutely possible. But I'm afraid that uh, we have inflation already above 6%, well above 6%, and eventually the Reserve Bank may be forced to increase in interest rates. But even if there is an increase in interest rates, interest rates are likely to remain at relatively low levels for quite some time.
1: Uh, uh, but you are saying that theoretically it shouldn't be happening?
9: Yes. No, indeed. In, uh, theoretically the Reserve Bank should in fact be increasing interest rates. It is not the South African Reserve Bank's responsibility to grow the economy. Their job is to make sure that we have a stable environment in terms of the value of our currency, the RAND, to make sure that the RAND maintains its value. If you have inflation, it simply means that the currency is losing value. And that's the job of the Reserve Bank. So clearly the Reserve Bank is failing on that specific front at the moment in that the, the, the RAND is losing a lot of value. But the reason for that has to do with the weak economy. So, so yes, theoretically the Reserve Bank should, in fact, have increasing strength.
1: Uh, would you say that this is good news or bad news to um, to consumers and, and especially people who have cars and are worried about petrol prices?
9: Yeah, certainly for people that, are, that, that do owe money for, on their mortgage or owe money on the, the luxury car you've bought or maybe own money on the television that you've bought. Yes, yeah, certainly that is good news for them. Interest rates are not going up for them so the, the, the installment on the car and the house will remain unchanged. But that's only one side of the equation. Remember, there are many people that are very much dependent on interest income, especially the elderly. And they've had a a very raw deal for many years now when interest rates have been relatively low, not only in South Africa, in fact globally. So, yes, certainly for people that owe a lot of money, this is good news. But for people who are saving, that is certainly not good news.
1: Mm. Um, this is the fourth time that this is happening um, Are we In future, are we going to see the Reserve Bank doing this Trying to help the economy in this manner?
9: Well, you know, I, I think there's too much emphasis placed on monetary policy Not only in South Africa, globally the, the perception is there that central banks Or the job of central banks is to somehow boost the economy It's the responsibility of central banks to keep the financial market up and running it's the responsibility of the, of the central banks to make sure the economies grow. I disagree with that. You can go so far with monetary policy, central banks can do so much to support the economy and not more. And I'm afraid the South African Reserve Bank has done as much as they possibly can to support the economy. And if we really want to support the economy, we need to implement some structural adjustments in the South African economy. But for that, you need strong political leadership, something that we certainly do not have at the moment. So, so yes... Uh, I don't think the Reserve Bank is going to lower interest rates to support the economy although there is a possibility maybe in a couple of months time that we may be past the cycle and we may see inflation coming down but it shouldn't be seen as an attempt after the Reserve Bank really supporting the economy. They've done as much as they possibly can. Now it's up to the to the other authorities to support the economy as well.
1: Mm, um, the RAND remained pretty much steady following this announcement but uh, it's not the only thing that the RAND is depending on in order to um, uh, to keep off with the volatility that we've seen in the last couple of months. There's still that pending ratings um, downgrade that we are worried about, isn't there?
9: Yeah, yeah certainly tomorrow is one of those announcements. That we could see a downgrade tomorrow. In fact, I do believe an announcement tomorrow that's going to announce a downgrade. But even if there is a downgrade, I don't think the RAND is going to weaken that much further because I believe it's, it's pretty much in the market to a large extent already. Uh, but you're absolutely correct that uh, the exchange, or rather interest rates, are very important in de- determining the exchange rate of the currency. The fact that the RAND has remained relatively unchanged even after the announcement uh, simply is proof that the financial markets already discounted uh, the, uh, the unchanged stance of the South African Reserve Bank uh, in terms of the, of the repo rate.
1: Dave Root, thank you very much. Thank you. David, is an economist, and he was joining us on the line for a conversation about interest rates in South Africa. Now, former Uduana President Festus Mokhaye is decrying violence that has reached a high peak in South Sudan. Mokhaye, representing the East African regional trade bloc, IGAD and the African Union has been overseeing the full implementation of a peace agreement signed by President Salva Kiir and his principal political and military opponent, Riek Machar. Machar has declared war against President Kiir, and his fighters have already taken up strategic positions in Juba and its outskirts, as well as other parts of Africa's newest nation. James Shimanula reports.
10: As 2016 approaches its end next month. The political and military situation remains fragile in South Sudan, with the fighting raging between soldiers backing the Yuba government and fighters supporting former Vice President Riek Machar, Now former Botswana President Festus Mohai, Appointed by the Regional Trade Bloc IGAD and the African Union to ensure that the peace agreement signed by President Salva Kiir and his former deputy Riek Machar is fully implemented, is decrying violence and killings that are taking place in the country. Addressing journalists in Juba Mohai attested to the fact that violence is indeed raging in South Sudan.
11: ...violence and criminality perpetrated by uniformed armed forces of SPLA-IG and SPLA-IO and acts of violence and criminality by other armed groups continue unabated.
10: Mohai cited examples of ethnic fighting that is sweeping across greater equatoria, which comprises three regions. Eastern Equatoria, Western Equatoria and Central Equatoria. South Sudan's capital Juba is located in Central Equatoria. Mochae has a timely plea to fight as loyal to former Vice President Riek Machar, now rebel leader, and South Sudan President Salva Kiir.
11: In Greater Equatoria, fighting continues alongside the targeting of civilians. Gross violations of human rights and international humanitarian law, and continuing incidents of sexual violence. In central Equatoria, armed groups continue to target vehicles and convoys carrying goods and civilians in acts of retaliation against government operations. And there are reports of a rise in inflammatory rhetoric, which carries the potential a wider violent, ethnocentric conflict.
10: With the fighting still raging in South Sudan, Mohai underscores the fact that peace is the only offensive that the people of that country need now.
11: We urge all parties, and most particularly the transitional government of national unity, to demonstrate leadership and campaign for peace confidently. I appeal to the President of the Republic of South Sudan, and the transitional government of national unity to assume a higher profile and a more visible stance in propagating peace among all communities and citizens
10: of South Sudan. Former Botswana President Festus Mogae, tasked by the IGAD and the African Union to ensure that peace prevails in South Sudan, wants the Juba government of President Salva Kiir to respect the freedom of speech in South Sudan, where the authorities in Juba have shut down six private radio stations and banned the circulation of at least three independent newspapers.
11: The only offensive South Sudan needs right now is a peace offensive. The voice and contribution of faith-based leaders, women, elders, the private sector, civil society, and the youth cannot be understated. Their voice must be heard without fear of oppression or constraint. A responsible and ethical medium can facilitate a culture of open dialogue. There can be no justification for shutting down and intimidating media, simply for reporting divergent views. The sustainability of the peace process is of paramount importance. Our emphasis, therefore, remains on the need to re-establish an environment, within which all the parties of South Sudan, irrespective of their ethnicity or background, can safely return and engage in constructive and peaceful
10: Dialogue. That was former Botswana President Festus Mogae decrying fighting and killings in South Sudan. Mogae was appointed by the Regional Trade Bloc IGAD and the African Union to oversee the implementation of a peace agreement signed by President Salva Kir and former Vice President Riek Machara. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula.
1: And Jolena Tula has your news headlines.
2: Thank you, Spumelele. Making headlines: Lesotho's Prime Minister Pakalitha Mosisi's Democratic Congress Party and former Prime Minister Tom Tabane's Obasota Convention have confirmed a coalition agreement for a government of national unity. Burundi's government has refused to cooperate with a UN inquiry into months of political violence, saying accusations of abuses by its officials were part of a political plot. And finally, schools have remained closed in northwestern Cameroon following the killing of several disgruntled people protesting the overbearing dominance of French in that country. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
1: It is 1732 Central African Time here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, the South African Department of Energy has announced the publication of the Integrated Energy Plan and a draft Integrated Resource Plan for Electricity Assumption and Base Case Reports. Nicole Luzer is attorney at the Center for Environmental Rights, and she says the reports constrain the real potential growth in renewable energy.
12: At this point, we don't exactly have the documents themselves. What has only been made available at this stage were the presentations that were made by the Minister on Tuesday in relation to the Integrated Resource Plan and the Integrated Energy Plan. So it is quite difficult to make any conclusions at this stage. The documents are supposed to be collected tomorrow and they were supposed to be made available on the department's website Tuesday already, and they don't seem to be made available. Our impressions just from presentations are that it's not quite clear exactly, you know, what the position is. It seems that there have been a lot of assumptions made, some of them based on demand projections or GDP forecasts that don't seem to be completely accurate. Some of the pricing sort of assumptions don't really match up with regard to renewables and nuclear. We have seen increased capacity for renewable energy, which is a good thing, but unfortunately it seems that renewable energy has been significantly constrained in the IRP, meaning that the sort of projections for renewable energy are nowhere near what they should be or ambitious enough because we as a country have such fantastic potential for renewable energy, such as solar and wind, and the model that the IRP is based on seems to be constraining the renewables renewables contribution to our energy mix, I think that's because of the fact that they've tried to incorporate coal and nuclear. And according to the presentation, it seems that nuclear will be only coming online in 2037, so that's a bit later than anticipated. And new coal is also projected to only still be coming online because there's been new coal from independent power producers, and that's predicted for some of it by 2021 already and some of it later by 2028 Now, what's concerning is that provision is being made for new coal to come online much later than it should be. I mean, most countries internationally are already phasing out of coal and are committing to to much larger-scale renewables, and we're seeing that by 2050, the majority of our electricity generation will still be from coal and nuclear. And given the environmental, the health risks, as well as the economic risks of investing in new coal at, at this stage, With what we know about climate change, it's very irresponsible and it just doesn't make financial or environmental sense to still have so much coal in our energy mix at such a late stage by the year 2050.
5: So even though we are part and parcel of this Paris Agreement, we're still having to have coal for some time with us in the near future.
12: Yes, absolutely, and that, that is a big concern. We have now, as a country, ratified the Paris Agreement, and we've also made commitments in our nationally determined contribution to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions Bear in mind also that these massively determined contributions are commitments that we as a country have to make every five years, and every five years they have to be more ambitious. And with us now committing in this IRP document to more coal, it just doesn't really make sense. There's massive inconsistency with our commitments under the Paris Agreement, and it it is a big problem, obviously.
5: But now, coming to nuclear energy, COP22... The issue of nuclear energy was advertised at COP22. South Africa should have, as you say, that it's more dangerous and expensive, but some of the advert that was made at COP22.
12: I'm not aware of what was actually said at COP22 with regards to nuclear. If it has something to do with the government's stance on nuclear being sort of greenhouse gas emission friendly in the sense that it, it obviously doesn't have the same carbon dioxide. Emissions that a coal-fired power plant has. Well, the main issue around nuclear is that it's not really necessary when we have fantastic potential for renewable energy such as solar and wind, which is much cheaper, much healthier, much less risky. There's a report by the CSIR, the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, which points out that we as a country don't need nuclear purely from a cost perspective alone. We can get all our energy demands met by renewable energy sources. From a nuclear perspective, it's more just the case that. It's not really necessary, and the costs are way too high in comparison to renewables. Now, the IRP doesn't doesn't quite accurately reflect the renewables costs, what the costs are currently, and bear in mind that the costs of renewables are decreasing rapidly every day, pretty much, whereas that isn't the case for nuclear. Also, if we spend all this money on a nuclear procurement, what will be left for other more pressing needs, if that makes sense?
1: That is Nicole Luzer, who is attorney at the Central Centre for Environmental Rights, talking to Wandele Khalipa.
13: This is
14: Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: The latest Consumer Confidence Index, or CCI, figures from Nielsen reflect another huge swing by nine points, from 78 in the second quarter of this year to 2016 to 87 in the third quarter. Nielsen says as a result of this swing, there's a new normal permeating in the South African psyche, and that nothing is normal anymore. Nielsen is a global performance management company that provides a comprehensive understanding of what consumers watch and buy. The survey was conducted from the 10th of August to the 2nd of September this year. To give us greater context to the current set of results, it's useful to compare them to those recorded in the first quarter of the year when the CCI score was at its lowest level in years At 75, Nelson Country Head Brian Sun has more.
13: So we released our quarterly consumer confidence index. And the reason that it's interesting in Q3 this year is that we've seen a steady increase over the last two quarters. So our numbers, which we saw in Q3, the number went up to 87. Now, just to give a little bit of perspective, anything above 100 is confident and anything below 100 less confident. And so South Africa in Q1 has hit a all-time low in our study. We've been doing it for 11 years of 75. And so what we've seen is a steady increase in Q2. It, it went up to 78. And in Q3, it went up to 87.
0: Now, you attribute the increase in the consumer confidence to the local government elections that were held earlier this year.
13: Yeah, so we, we've we seen a few drivers of short-term optimism in the numbers. So the GDP has seen a, a bit of a recovery in Q3, up to 3.3 from a negative 1.2 in Q2. The local government elections went fairly smoothly. But also with that, we've seen stable inflation, stable interest rates, and we've seen a slight rebound in the RAND. So it's a good story. It's an increase that we've seen. I think we do need to be conscious that though it's an increase, it's still not a confident number. It's still less than 100. And our biggest concern is really around the volatility of this number. So we don't see swings like this in other markets. This 12-point swing since Q1 is one of the biggest that we've seen globally. And why that's an issue is that we feel that this swing is really driven more by short-term developments in South Africa rather than long-term economic indicators.
0: And you say you have never seen such a swing anywhere in the world. What would you attribute to? What would be the factors that you alluded to? Maybe you could just name them that are affecting the
5: swing.
13: Yeah, so the way that we do the study is we ask three main questions. So we ask about job prospects, we ask about uh, people's state of personal finances, and we ask whether or not they feel that it's a good time to buy. And with those three questions, we're able to get an overall number. And so I think part of our thinking around the, the swings on this number is that there's a lot happening in South Africa at the moment. And it is a market where it's impacted by inflation. It is impacted by the drought. It's impacted by education concerns, et cetera. So with so much happening in the market, it's really driving a lot of swings around consumer confidence, which ultimately will affect spending in the market. So there's a lot of factors that are driving this. And we just need to be aware of the volatility of the market.
0: And what should be um, of great concern for the South African consumers?
13: So I think for the South African consumers, the concern is around the volatility as well as inflation. So inflation is going up. It's about 6%. Food inflation is even higher, driven a lot by the drought of 9%. So in fact, for consumers, while the economy is let's say, stable and not growing, and while the RAND is fluctuating and quite volatile, the cost of what they're buying is going up, and what's coming into their wallet isn't. And so for the South African consumer, what they really need to do is find that balance between what they earn and what they can spend.
0: And obviously, the drought issue has played a major role, which you have spoken about. You haven't done anything on quarter four, but should we be optimistic of what might come out in this quarter, especially because this quarter is also part of the festive season, where there will be, you know, bonuses to spend.
13: I think we should be optimistic, but again, it's been a very volatile number. I think the concern for us is that it is volatile. And for what we have found is it's really driven by almost week to week by what's happening in the market. But I would say looking at the numbers starting at 75, then going to 78, and now in Q3 at 87, it is good news going into the holiday season. We're going to have Black Friday tomorrow, which is new for the market, and people are more confident. We're also seeing in our numbers that people are spending, more. So with the confidence levels going up, retail basket spend is going up as well. And so I think we do have reason to be optimistic in quarter four, but I think it should be a cautious optimism.
0: There was a point in this report where you alluded to a fact that South Africa still feels like a country which is in recession. Earlier in the year, South Africa slightly actually averted recession. Should we be very concerned about what could happen come 2017?
13: That's a very good question. So... In one of the studies, over two-thirds of South Africans feel that we are in a recession. We did avoid a technical recession, which I believe is two-quarters of negative growth, and we saw a rebound of the GDP to 3.3%. Let's keep in mind as well that the population is growing at 1.3%, so the economy needs to be growing faster than that in order for us to see strong or see economic growth. I think it's something that we should be concerned about. I think one of the South Africa not going into junk status definitely helped with confidence, but I think we need to keep an eye on the political landscape, on the macroeconomic landscape, and on the retail landscape in the coming quarters to see if a recession is coming. So I think with confidence growing and with things starting to stabilize, We can feel, as I said, cautiously optimistic, but I think it's something that we definitely need to keep an eye on.
0: And finally, what advice would you give to consumers this festive season with the inflation, with everything that's been going on in the country, and also just the little money that consumers have in their pockets to spend?
13: Yeah, I I think my advice for consumers would be there's more information available now, There's more information available today than there was yesterday, and there will be more information available tomorrow than there is today. And so what we're finding is consumers are better connected, consumers are more engaged, consumers are better informed. And so especially with the squeeze on the wallet, my advice to consumers is to shop smart and to make sure that you're getting value for money and that you're also getting quality for what you're spending.
1: That's Brian Sun, who is the country head at Nielsen, a global performance management company that provides a comprehensive understanding of what consumers watch and buy on the line. Talking to Tudo Ngobeni, 1745 Central african Economic News with Wessana Matabula.
5: In your economics news this hour, most economists uh, believe the South African Reserve Bank is not likely to hike interest rates when its MPC committee concludes its three-day meeting. This, despite inflation being outside the bank's upper band, of 6%. They say the bank has made a, a mandate to maintain price stability, but ensuring that it does not stifle growth with high interest rates. The prime lending rate is currently at 10.5%. Lesiba Motata is chief economist at Investment Solutions.
9: What is important now in the South African economy is the outlook of inflation in the next 18 months, which is likely to be much improved from when they met despite the sell-off in bond yields globally after Donald Trump has been elected as president with the promise of tax cuts and also fiscal policy out of the U.S., which can prove inflationary.
5: Angola's state oil company Sonangol has amassed hundreds of millions of US dollars in debt and deferred payments to oil mergers and contractors while its new chief Isabella dos Santos attempts to reform its operations. Contractors say they have waited months even for small payments from Sonangol which handles the oil and gas reserves of Africa's second largest oil exporter. And one of one of the world's leading integrated oil and gas companies, BP, must pay more than 68 million US dollars to the National Bank of Abu Dhabi. A United Kingdom court made a ruling in a case stemming from the surprise closure. Of Morocco's Samir refinery last year, the British energy company sold a keg of Russian Urals crude to Samir in August 2014, which was not paid for, and the National Bank of Abu Dhabi took a 95 percent of that debt. BP has declined to comment on the judgment. Meanwhile, trading in oil companies such as Glencore, Vitol, and BP Energy are collectively owned, owed around one billion dollars by Samir. And two rating agencies are set to announce the assessment of South Africa's credit rating. Moody's is expected to make its announcement on Friday, while Standard & Poor's will announce its decision next week. South African President Jacob Zuma says government efforts to introduce labour market reforms is a positive step towards staving off sovereign credit ratings downgrade. Zuma was answering questions in the National Assembly yesterday in his last appearance for the year.
7: The purpose is to work together to reduce policy uncertainty, improve confidence in the country's ability to achieve inclusive growth with continual large investments in energy, transport, and telecommunications. I believe we have indeed done a lot working together to create Favourable conditions for economic growth and to stave off any downgrade.
5: Rio Tinto's chief executive, Juan Sebastian Jacques says the fallout from its discovery of payments in Guinea has been very challenging. Speaking at the mining giant's annual investment day seminar, Jack also committed to the world's second biggest mining company to boosting free cash flow by five billion dollars over five years, and flagged that uh, capital spending this year will be lower than previously suggested. Let's look now at your financial indicators. The dollar stronger at fourteen ten South African rents at ten point six nine Botswana pula, and nine point seven seven against the Zambian kwacha. It is also trading at zero point eighty to the British pound and zero point nine four against the euro. The commodities market uh, gold $1,185, platinum $918 per fine ounce, brand crude oil is at $48.95 per barrel. And that's your economics news.
1: And Neto Chemani has the sports news.
14: Good evening, sport fans. With the latest Channel Africa Sport News at this hour, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. Starting off with athletics news. The Spark Grand Prix promoter Bruce Davidson says the initiative that was launched 10 years ago is celebrating a decade of existence tonight at the Emparas Palace, east of Johannesburg. Davidson describes the Spark Grand Prix as the third biggest athletic brand in South Africa after Comrades and Two Oceans Marathon. He also highlighted Yvette van Zyl as one of the outstanding athletes after her dominance of four out of five races. Davidson sheds more light.
8: It certainly is, and the Spa Grand Prix is a, a fantastic uh, initiative to launch 10 years ago. So this year we're celebrating 10 years of the Spa Grand Prix. It is the third biggest athletics brand in South Africa after the Comrades Marathon and the Two Oceans Marathon. And um, we are celebrating tonight because we have Neef van Black. It's now Yvette van Veil, married to the Olympian LJ van Veil. She was dominant in the Spa Grand Prix races. There's five of them run every year, Cape Town uh, Nelson Mandela Bay, um, jo- Johannesburg, uh, Pretoria, and in Durban. And she was dominant, winning uh, four out of the five races. And uh, she walks away with a 160000 rand check tonight as the Spark Grand Prix winner for 2016.
14: The Spark Grand Prix promoter Bruce Davidson says categories are divided according to various age groups.
8: Well, uh, there are various categories. Um, There is a junior category that we have, and we have the open senior category. But we also have a club category. We have a 40- to 49-year-old category. We have a 50- to 59-year-old category and a 60-year-old category, 60-plus category. So there's actually the four age groups, as I said, the senior, the junior, 42 to 49, 50 to 59 and 60 plus age uh, category as well as the club category. So all of those will be celebrating tonight, the, the, the different winners in each of those categories.
14: The Spark Grand Prix Awards are about winning as they are inclusive of second and third place in various categories. Davidson explains.
8: Yes, we're going to be giving away just close on one million Rand tonight um, to the various uh, winners um, in the different categories as well as uh, some of the, the uh, first, second, third uh, place People, so there's a, a substantial amount of money to be shared amongst all of them, and then of course, we, we also have a beautiful um, hand in, uh, made trophies uh, from Inguanya glass in the he- cradle of humankind that will be presented to all the winners.
14: On to football news. FIFA held its first executive football summit in Paris this week as part of the initiative to provide a platform for discussion and debate in the sport. President Gianni Infantino and his secretary-general, Fatma Samoura, led the two-day meeting which was attended by member association presidents and general secretaries. At the end of the summit last night, Infantino told reporters that video replays could be used at the 2018 World Cup. In March, IFAB approved a two-year trial of a system in which a so-called video assistant referee, VAR, with access to replays, helps match officials review key decisions. Australia, Brazil, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Portugal and the United States have all been conducting tests. The second third of eleven FIFA executive summits will be held in Singapore from December the 6th to the 8th. Nigeria have moved 10 spots up the latest FIFA rankings and they are now 50th in the world thanks to an impressive run in the World Cup qualifiers. Nigeria are back in the African top 10 in 7th place with Senegal and Cote d'Ivoire, the two top countries on the continent. However, Nigeria's World Cup rivals Algeria and Cameroon dropped in the latest ratings. Algeria are 38th in the world, three places down from their previous ranking, while Cameroon are 65th, six places below the position they enjoyed last month. Zambia moved to 91st position, three spots up from last month's ranking. And finally in rugby news. Rohan Janse van Rensburg, Jamba Ulengo and Uzair Kassim all make their Springbok debuts against Wales in the Principality Stadium on Saturday, while a fourth uncapped player, Jean-Luc DuPriz, has been included on the bench for the final match of the 2016 tour. Strongly built inside center Janse van Drentzbeck, who takes over from Damien de Allende in a rotational switch, and winger Ulengo, who is in for Brian Habana, a part of a reshuffled backline announced by Springbok coach Alistair Coetzee today. A new look backline also sees the return of Fafditlerk, scrum half and Elton Yankees fly half, a southback combination, while there is a further chance at full fullback with Johan Gussen, named to start in the number 15 jersey. In the other change up front, Lawrence Adrianse comes at a tight head in a place of Vincent Koch which means that 14 players who will be based in South Africa for Super Rugby in 2017 will start against Wales, a feather seven on the bench. Thank you for tuning to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: 1756 Central African Time, Malaya Turkapa Top Stories. South African Trade Union Federation endorses its preferred candidate to lead the ruling party. Schools remained closed in northwestern Cameroon following the killing of several people protesting the domination of French in the country. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Spomele Lezondi, producer Luanda Mohamed, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. You can send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za On SMS run 27796957930 plus 27-796-957-930. You can also tweet us on channel Africa1. We leave you with Surayako by South Soil and Ianya.
14: I
8: wish you would see ache, would